Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Hit Like a Girl podcast is a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. One thing I love about working with them is that they're mission-driven, which means that they're dedicated to featuring authoritative shows, hosts, and guests who take on the tough topics in healthcare with empathy, expertise, and a commitment to excellence. If you're looking for bingeable content related to the healthcare industry, they've got more than 8,000 episodes on demand waiting for you. From professional development, the patient voice, digital health, innovation and entrepreneurship, and of course, health IT, they've got you covered. So this is your official invitation to check them out at healthpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. This is High Tea with Grace, where we spill the tea on HIT. I'm very excited to welcome Chiza Hussein. She's Chief Commercial Officer of Bioformis. She's a partners with healthcare visionaries to deliver the next level of virtual care, which she argues to be predicting patient deterioration before it happens. Yes, that is happening, folks. And Shiza is here to tell us about it. Shiza, thanks for joining us today. Hello, thanks for having me. I'm excited to have the conversation. We just are so excited to have you here and would love to hear about your career path that led you to this current executive role at the company. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And one of the things I have to start with is I didn't chart this career path. When I started out, I'll go way back sixth grade, I decided I was going to be a software engineer. I was going to go run R&D somewhere. That's what I was going to do, right? I mean, already breaking some boundaries, right? Or breaking some uh, barriers that for women, but that was my path. And that's the path that I went down. And all the way through college, I studied engineering and I went and worked as a software engineer. And that's what I did for the first six years of my career. And I attribute a lot of my career path to just great mentors I've had. And along the way there, I had a mentor who said, listen, you should look at the marketing side of things. To which Candy, I was like, marketing? I'm an engineer. Like I'm hardcore. I'm STEM and all of that before we were saying STEM. But I, I made the leap. Um, and that's probably the biggest change I made in my career after starting in sixth grade and saying, I'm going to be a software engineer and working in major organizations as a software engineer, I switched to marketing. And then I spent the next decade or so doing every type of marketing you can imagine, right? Commercial marketing, field marketing, product management, product marketing, really getting a breadth of experience. And 
it was so much fun because as an engineer, you're developing these great solutions. You're being very creative in a different way, but you're sitting there going, but if only I could tell the world about what we're doing and be one of the people doing that and the great value we can bring, right? Take that passion of what we're growing and developing or creating and take it to the world. And that's what yeah, I it's kind of like if a tree falls in the forest and no one hears it, does it really fall kind of idea? You know, they're exactly. doing these amazing things. They need to be known and people need to know about them. Very fascinating. Exactly. And so I, I got to do that for over a decade and, and lead that. And and still, I got to say, well, I was an engineer. And so it gave me some credibility. And I, I got to take my technical skills and literally translate the technical value of our solutions into something that customers could appreciate and value. So I got to do that for a while. Then uh, I had to lead a global business. So I switched it up again. I was now in healthcare and health tech at this point. I'd moved in while I was doing marketing. And I got to lead a global business in the health tech space or med device space. Talk about learning yet again, right? You're like, no, I know. I've traveled plenty of places around the world, like no big deal, right? And I know healthcare and I know technology, but now I was learning healthcare in all different parts of the world. Wow. And as wow. you're, you know, as the people watching, listening know, it's different in every country in Europe. It was different when I went to Australia. It was different in South America. And so it was flexing in yet another way and, and forcing me in a good way to learn how healthcare works in other parts of the world and how do we need to flex in the solutions that we provide to really be able to deliver in other parts of the world. And then finally, I had another great mentor who came to me and said, well, what do you think about leading the commercial team, the sales organization? Which again, in my life was like, are you crazy? Like, why, why, would, I, why would we be doing that? But so much of what I had been doing in marketing was about getting that message out. So getting even closer to the users, to the people making decisions was what I got to do next from a sales perspective. And so I led sales at a, a major med tech, med device company again, global companies still in healthcare and tech. And I was doing that for the past few years before I came to Bioformis. And what's exciting about the role that I'm in now as chief commercial officer of Bioformis is I get to bring all that marketing experience and background, all of the sales experience that I have, the foundation of technology and almost you know 10 to 15 years in healthcare and bring it all together and take out really innovative solutions to market. So that, that's wow. how I ended up where I am today. Really fascinating to have all, all of those different pieces kind of coming together to help you in this current role at Bioformis. So can you share with us a little bit about Bioformis's mission um, and why it's important to you? Yeah, absolutely. So Bioformis was founded about six years ago, right? Six, seven years ago. And it was founded on a mission of predicting disease before it happens. Wow. And where we are today, I mean, it's exciting, right? So Think about 10 years ago, we wouldn't be able to predict something before it happens. We'd I know this feels like the Jetsons or something like right? wow. oh, but it gets it gets even better. Right. So it was founded on predicting disease before it happens. Right. And we have these FDA cleared analytics that are so incredibly powerful, Grace, because it learns you and me differently. It establishes a baseline for us. So look, Grace is not she's not built exactly the same way she's is. She doesn't have the same challenges. And then it continues to learn us over time. And then it um, notifies or alerts when there's clinically significant deviation, when we are not normal. We are far enough from normal clinically that something needs to be looked at. So that's exciting, right? I mean, that's what lets us predict disease before it happens. But I think where we're going is even more exciting, which is going from predictive care to prescriptive care, right? So not only can we predict, but are we going to be able to then intervene or help caregivers intervene, care teams intervene? That's when it's going to get even more exciting and we'll level up even more. 
Wow. So, you know, I know Bioformis is well known for your care at home solution. Uh, you recently won an award from Fierce Healthcare for, for that hospital at home solution. Uh, why do you think the future of healthcare, you know, is in the home? Is that prescript, you know, prescriptive care? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I actually think the future of healthcare is outside the home. It's anywhere we are. Wow. Right? If, if we think about how we operate today and how connected we are, you know, relative to 20 years ago where your connectivity was when you were staying, you know, using the phone with a big long cord that you wrapped around the other side of the wall so that you could have a private conversation. Where we are today is we're connected everywhere we go. So we're right now we're taking care out of the four walls of the hospital or the doctor's office because candidly, the healthcare system we have with all these physicians and caregivers who are so passionate about what they do, there's not enough resource and space to take care of every patient. Every one of us is a patient and will be in the healthcare system. So to me, right now, it's moving to the home, right? It's moving to where we're comfortable. There's a number of studies that have shown that if you are in your own environment and more comfortable, you're going to have better outcomes. But to me, the health, future of healthcare is wherever we are. When I'm going to the store, when I'm sitting at work, whether it works in my home or not, how am I always being watched? How am I always being heard by my care team and taken care of? So that's where I think the future is. Are top performing hospitals doing this right now? Are health systems doing it? Um, you know, and 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 you know, what are they doing to be successful in kind of this remote patient monitoring, monitoring them? You know, where they are. Uh, what are they doing in that well right now? Yeah, it's a great question. I think the biggest thing that hospitals and health systems are doing well is they recognize this tremendous need and they're looking for the right partners who are going to be able to help fill the need. And so there's two things I would say. One, when they're looking for solutions, it's not just about technology, right? No matter what part of our lives we look at, it's not just about great technology. It's about the entire solution. So they're looking for partners who can help them stand up and sustain a solution and evolve. Like mm -hmm. imagine before, you know, imagine we were all there before COVID, right? And how much things, you know, have changed since then. So they not only need someone who, partners who see it all, right? And can deliver not only the technology, but they're innovating with and ahead of the changing market and needs. And they're also providing all the support that a hospital or health system needs to stand up a solution. So the best hospitals and health systems in terms of who are on the leading edge of this are considering that entire ecosystem and what they have to bring together. But I think then if you wanna say the very best, like the top tier echelon, they're looking at the change management. The hardest part about this is recognizing and investing in that change management that you're going to need to be successful, right? How are you gonna convince an ER doc or a hospitalist that this solution is the right fit for some of their patients and will ensure the same level or even a better level of care. How are you gonna convince a patient that when you're sending them home and saying, here's your kit, here's your hospital at home kit, you get to go be comfortable at home, that you're not pushing them off to substandard care, that you're actually giving them a solution that might be better for them both clinically as well as mentally and emotionally. And we all know the importance of mental and emotional health. Unfortunately, that is getting more time on the airwaves as well. That's really interesting. I'm I'm actually really interested in kind of diving into this change ma management concept just a little bit. Um, what what do you find to be some of like the best uh, change management strategies that hospitals do to kind of, as they're implementing hospital at home, hospital where you are strategies? Like, what are some things that they can do to help prepare their physicians and clinicians and and nurses that need to use this technology to help uh, manage illnesses, et cetera? 
Yeah, a couple of things. One is having your clinical leaders or partners at the table making these decisions, because then there's the buy-in, right? If I'm a hospitalist, but I know that our chief medical officer was at the table and has vetted these solutions and the value of them, I'm more likely to hear the team or hear the organization when they say this is something that we're doing and can be great value to you. Number two, they're training and they're training constantly, right? You can't one time tell them how to use this program and then hope it sticks, right? How do you stay with them? And how do you, like anything else, right, that we do in life, you've got to continue to revisit it. Um, and then finally, we're also, you know, you've got to do that training. You've got to make sure anybody, everybody's on board. But like one of the things that we do at Bioformis is we have customer success managers who stay with our customers through the life of the program, which we hope is forever, right? And it's it's about making sure that as needs change, as staff change, right, as processes change, that the solution is still not only measuring up, but driving, you know, enhanced virtual care. So I think those are some of the things, but, you know, there's experts in change management and you're seeing some of the hospitals and health systems create that as a role, like healthcare. Wow, it's like becoming its own thing because of how important it is. Right, exactly. Because hospitals know they can't rely on just who they can help, you know, manage or care for in the four walls of the hospital. They don't have enough capacity. The mindset of the patient is changing. Look, COVID, good or bad, people wonder, is this going to go away, right? You know, is all of this yeah. going to change? I don't think so. We've gotten comfortable. We shop from everywhere. We buy food, from, you know, online. We're connected all the time. Why would I accept anything less from a care perspective, right? Take care of me wherever I am. And I think hospitals are embracing it, but they also don't know exactly how they're going to get there. And that's where change management and good partners come in. So I'm also interested in hearing about this from the patient side of things too. So we can see really kind of some of the benefits that it that it can give to clinicians, giving them more time, um, being able to treat more patients, being able to uh, manage conditions from home. Um, but you know, in terms of benefiting patient and patients, does it really improve patient engagement with their own care, satisfaction, et cetera? Like, how does it impact the patients ultimately, and why is that so important? Yeah, I think for patients, it's a really good, important topic, right? We have to, if I don't like this solution, I'm not going to use it. Mm -hmm. If it's not easy for me to go back to my basic examples to shop online, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to go walk into the store and say, look, it's not good enough. So one, let's talk about the technology for a second, right? It does need to be easy to use, easy to engage with working automatically, right? I shouldn't have to do anything complex or feel like I have need a technical degree or need to be, you know, under the age of 30 to be able to effectively use it, right? Um, that's one. You know, another is think about when you go to the doctor's office or to an ED, but let's use a doctor's office. When you go in, they take your vitals, they do all, they do all the physical checks, but what else do they do? They listen to you. They let you tell them, how are you feeling? Like, what's been going on? Give me the history. They don't use clinical terms, right? But they're, they're getting that history and they're hearing you. So the best virtual care solutions not only have to continuously get that data, which by the way, you don't get it continuously when you're in a doctor's office. It's those you know, a few minutes. Very in true. They have to rely on it week to week or month to month or year to year. Yeah, exactly. Right. So one, you're getting content, like they're watching me all the time. Right. So they get to see me all the time clinically. But number two, whether the the partner you're working with is using questionnaires or tasks put on the patient's schedule or whatever else, the patient gets to be heard. I don't only want to be seen. I don't only want you to do the clinical checks. I want you to know that 
I'm special. We're all special, right? Everybody's unique. And patients are going to say, look, no, but you have to understand what's happening with me in my world. Have I had some significant changes in my life? What have I been feeling? What symptoms? And not all of that comes through with just the data. So it's about bringing the two together, right? Really so that it's a complete solution and that they really feel good about it, right? And then the final thing is great. It's like, going back to you and me, I don't want to be treated the same way as you treat when it was about to give my age, so I will. A 40-something Asian you know, woman in the United States. Like we're not all the same, right? So the personalization aspect, the best solutions on the market are gonna be personalized and they're gonna get more and more personalized over time. That's just what we expect and we should with where technology is today. Very, very interesting. You know, from this personalized aspect, do you find that that baby boomers are having a hard time adopting some of these technologies or are you finding that they're just taking it in stride and they're figuring it out and they're using them? Uh, or do you, do, are you seeing that young people are, are, are taking advantage of them? What are you seeing from an age perspective in terms of how people are interacting with these new hospital where you are type technologies? Yeah, it's a great question. It, so the less tech savvy, even if I don't, I was about to make it about age, but of course there's some stereotypes right as people get older, but the less tech savvy someone is, the more important it is for the app to be really simple, the right, whatever they're interacting with. Yeah. And so what we're seeing now, granted, we prepare all the devices, right? Meaning everything's already talking to each other. Our app is incredibly simple. So simple, Grace, that when I first joined the company, I was like, well, that's, is that too simple? But it gets rave reviews and it gets good patient engagement. Over 90% patient engagement or compliance because it's so simple. Like, don't wow. make it difficult for me to use, mm -hmm. right? Think about the best social media apps, right? They have to be easy to use, right? If I'm going to watch TikToks, I don't care if I'm 10 or 40. I'm not going to engage with them in the same way but I've got to just be able to just swipe through and use it easily. And, and there can't be a learning curve. So, so what have we seen? We've seen very good engagement and what we call compliance or adherence to the program. And no matter what the age group, because of how it's designed and because we have invested in support resources, phone a friend, people that anyone can call and say, listen, I'm struggling. People who are compassionate, who are trained on how to walk somebody through. Like you can't say to someone, hey, click on your, just say the phone had the home button. So I click on the home button. What if I don't know what a home button is, right? So we also feel like you have to invest in the support team who is that phone a friend, right? Because if you are less tech savvy, what do you do know how to do? Call a number and say, help me. I don't know what's happening. And then once you get them over that hurdle, that initial hurdle, then it's just part of regular life, right? Think about, you know, my parents, you know, um, they FaceTime with their, you know, or video chat with their grandkids all over the country, no problem, right? And they are absolutely in the less tech savvy generation. This is just something like that, right? It's easy to use, just get them over that initial hurdle of adoption. It's interesting because even my 92 year old grandma will text me, hey girl, miss yeah. you, hope you're doing well. Exactly. And I'll, I'll be texting her about her health even, like, how are you doing? Or, and she'll be like, oh, I went to the senior center and worked out and did Zumba, <laughs> you know? So even like, just even texting with family and things, it almost does feel natural to talk about your health and, you know, with family, let alone, you know, kind of with your own clinicians that are trying to track your illnesses, et cetera. So, you know, it's almost like she's comfortable doing that with just me. <laughs> you right, know? right. And, and now, you know, it's also one of those like, look, I want to be able to new, learn the new technology, right? Like show me how to do it. 
I can do it, right? It's not an intelligence thing. It's a comfort thing. It's an experience thing. And so as soon as you show people how to use it, right, they're going to, and I'm, I was thinking about your grandma, then she's probably throwing in an emoji. She's grabbing, you know, videos. Like my, my mother-in-law loves to send us videos all day long off of YouTube that she finds. And we just taught her how to put it up on the big screen in her house so she can watch it. It's all about just that initial training and adoption in getting over that fear, right? Of hmm. Or that um, hesitance, right? Of hmm. what to do. So that's how I think about your grandma. There was probably a time where she was like, I, I don't text. It's not what I do. And now you probably can't take it out of her hands, right? Yes, so very good. true. Very true. And I can even remember when we taught her how to text like 15 years ago or whenever we did that. I think it was about 15 or 20 years ago. Um, so this is really all very interesting. We know you're a very busy executive woman um, working at trying to get care, accessible to everybody everywhere. Uh, but you know, what are some from a personal level level, what are some of your interests outside of work that help keep you grounded and keep you working at your best? Yeah, you know, I'll probably share three kind of very different things, maybe all connected. Yeah. One is family. Um, so for me, just a little bit about me. I have parents who live one street away from me. I have my in-laws five minutes away. I have children, you know, one who's grown up and in college, one who's in high school, and a lot of um, family and friends that have been benefit, you know, friends who I've had for over 20 years who live all right around me. So I spend a lot of time with the people who know me best, where I can just you know, I'm a pretty authentic person anyways, but where I can just be me. So that's one, right? Family and friends. I mean, that's a big part of my life. That's my weekends. That's my evenings, right? And as a parent and any anybody who, uh, you know, has a lot of family, you know, you live for your children, right? Often. And I do too. Oh, yes, so. totally. And to have that amazing community all near you is so impactful and so helpful and useful for, for all of you. It, it is. And it also drives me because when I need to take a parent or somebody, you know, to the ED. And before I came to this company, you know, I sit there for 12 hours as they're just checking vitals every few hours. I'm like, but we can do this better. Right. So it also, it also fuels me and creating a better world, right? We all want to leave a better world than the one that we, we came into. Right. So for my children, so that's one. Um, another is uh, love to go to the gym. Um, and there's two things. So I was thinking about what is it that I like to do? I used to run a lot because it was a way of without headphones, just to escape, right. Just to stop thinking. Cause I think as important as it is for us to, work hard and always be driving forward is to to have the balance. But a couple of things that I do at the gym, I do Zumba as well. So I will say I'm like your grandma. Uh, you and my 92 year old grandma. <laughs> I would be right next to her. I, I love to dance because dance. And the other thing I was going to say is interval training, like high, like high intensity, like, mm. uh, you know, just pushing yourself to your limits, right? Those types of things. But what it is, is it's an escape. Right. It's a complete like let everything go and take care of yourself. And for an hour, right, it's, that's how I do self-care. Right, is is really what it's about. It's about dancing. It's about pushing myself to to my limits, right? Physically, and you can't be checking your phone and checking in on emails and see what seeing what's happening. Oh yeah, you have to detach and focus on what you're doing when you're doing a hit workout. That's yeah, for exactly. sure. <laughs> you can't do a burpee with a phone in your hand. It just doesn't happen. So so that's one you know for me. And then the other is it's maybe a strange one, but it's just laugh. Like I love watching comedies. I love like going to a comedy show, joking around with my family. I think one of my favorite activities, because I've thought about this before, is just to laugh. It's wow. one of the most pure things you can do. And it's just joy, right? You know, I'll have, I have a little nephew and when he does silly things, just laughing, right? It's a great release. So that's a little bit different things, right? So it's my family, it's, it's going to the gym and going super hard. And then it's just laughing and just uh, being free. 
Yeah, laughter really is medicine in many ways. And and also just gets you out of parts of your brain and mm-hmm. puts you into other parts of your brain that actually can think and do reasoning and logic as well. <laughs> I've heard really great things about the neurological benefits of laughter as well. Uh, that's yeah. really interesting and fascinating. Uh, I'm also interested, what are some things that you do to overcome challenges in your life? You know, particularly as a woman executive, engineer, marketing executive, chief, chief commercial officer now, you know, you're a woman in an industry that's, it's, that's very much uh, has uh, more men than women in it. Uh, what are things that you do to overcome challenges that you face? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think about when I went through school as an engineering major and at the time, and thankfully it's, it's gotten even much better, but I was often the only woman in the class. And I honestly didn't think much about it. It was just, even though maybe I should have at the time, or maybe that's a testament to the the school that I went to, but I was one of the only women. Um, And so there's a few different things I would say from an overcoming challenges perspective. I think about the process we all go through when we're faced with a challenge, right? There's a challenge that's presented to us. We go through a period of potentially self-doubt or confirming like, can I do this? And then we accept the challenge and go. So that period of doubting ourselves or, or assessing whether or not we can step up to that challenge, it can be seconds, it can be minutes, it can be weeks, it can be years. So one of the things that I've tried to do is how do I reduce that time from presented with the challenge to let's go? Because I have yet to be faced with a challenge that didn't do one of two things, right? One, either I was successful or two, I failed and learned from it. So that's the other thing, Grace. The other way that I overcome challenges is I'm not afraid to fail. Mm. We're going to fail. And I had to learn that. Like, that's not mm. like, I, I was a kid who grew up straight A's, you know, coming from a culture of like, you got a 98. Yeah, perfectionism and yes. striving for goals, meet, yes. meeting those goals. And, mm-hmm. and being a woman, you know, alongside all the men in engineering, there, there's a bit of like, I'm going to prove myself. So I had to learn that it was okay to fail. One, mentally accept, right? Just learn it then truly, truly go, okay, it really is okay to fail. Because if I fail, and my definition of failure, one, it might not be as bad to everyone else. But number two, no matter what, I'm going to learn and I have a higher likelihood of overcoming the next challenge. So those are the two things. Like Shorten that window of self-doubt. Like Don't try not to doubt yourself. Reality is we all, we all do to some degree, but then just, just go and be, it's okay. If you fail, move on, move to the next thing. Don't wallow in it. I love that. That is so inspiring. That's so inspiring. Um, so I'm also interested kind of in hearing about um, what's the work that you are most proud of that you have done through the years. So you, you've failed and you've learned to fail <laughs> and you've overcome challenges like just to get to where you are and you, you return to joy, you know, in the midst of trials. Um, you know, what are some of the work that you've been most proud of going through what you've gone through and, and coming to where you are now? Yeah, it's, well, first I have to say, I've had a lot of great luck or good fortune, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I have not, I did not grow up, you know, with all the hardships that a lot of people have to face potentially, but that said, I still worked, right? I mean, I worked hard That's part of my brand, um, but I've had a lot of luck. I didn't intentionally get into healthcare te- or health tech either or health IT. I was recruited into like somebody came to me and said, well, you're really good in technology. Why don't you come do this? And I said, well, healthcare and technology, that sounds great. Let's go do that. So I've had a lot of really good fortune. And I think, you know, um, there's luck and then there's what you do. And so when I think about what I'm most proud of, it's 
I've, I've been able to work with phenomenal teams for phenomenal organizations, do really good work on great projects. But what I'm proud of is what I bring to the table, right? Like it's because mm. I, I was thinking if I pick an individual project, I'm almost doing a disservice to something else I've done if I pick my children, which I'm absolutely proud of. But even that, I recognize some of it's the luck I've been given, right? And having good kids who do good things. So what I bring every day, I try to, is as much energy and passion as possible and hard work and hustle. I don't think I've ever been a part of the team of a team that doesn't appreciate that I am passionate about the work we do, passionate about all of them. And I will do anything and everything alongside them, with them, to lead them as a member of the team. And so that's what I'm proud of. It's the brand that I'm trying to develop that I'll constantly try to grow of. I will always show up and work hard and I will be passionate about what we do as a member of the team. I love that. And I truly wish all leaderships thought or all leaders thought that way. You know, all leadership should be done that way. And it's inspiring that you are given that opportunity to do that there at Biopharmis um, and the other organizations that you've worked with. So uh, to kind of finalize this discussion, do you have any pieces of wisdom that you'd like to leave our audience with today? So that's always a fun question. Like I've learned so much and I'm so thankful to the many mentors that I have and have had, but it's a tough question because I also am humble enough to know that I have so much more to learn or self-aware enough. But there's two things I always go back to um, my children, right? And there's no greater investment I make than, you know, forget myself in them, right? And in growing them. And there's two pieces of advice that I give to everybody I mentor as well. One is find something you're truly passionate about and do that. I, you know, you can be a great engineer, doctor, writer, lawyer, whatever it is, but if you're not passionate about it, that's going to come through. If you are passionate, the wins are going to feel even better, right? When you win and the tough days are going to be manageable because we're all going to have them, whether it's tough moments or tough days. So you have to find something that yes, you're good at, but you're incredibly passionate about. And then the other part of that, and I touched a little bit on it, my personal brand is you have to hustle and you have to work hard. I think one, so you can achieve success, but Almost more importantly, we have a responsibility to one another. And I take that responsibility very seriously, right? Whether you're a part of a, a group in school, a team that you're on, right? An athletic team, a work team, we are responsible to one another. And so you have to bring all of you within reason. We've got to take care of ourselves. Of course, that's mm -hmm. not what I mean, but work hard, right? Find something you're passionate about and then work hard at it. And it won't feel like such hard work if you're really passionate about it. So those are the two things that almost any stage of life you're in, I think you can apply. Very interesting. Now, before I forget, did you happen to bring any tea with you today? I did. I can't come to high ah! tea with Grace. <laughs> So you're gonna you're gonna laugh. Of course, it says hustle. And oh. I was I was at a store with my daughters a few years ago, and I'm always like hustle. Like I always tell my kids, like let's go hustle. Like whether it's how fast they're moving, how fast they're working. And she saw it. She's like, Mom, that is so you. I'm like, it is. That's absolutely me. I don't think I need the reminder, but I love it because it is part of my brand. Yes, and I love the color too. It's so vibrant on a you know a gray any gray day. You're gonna get that vibrance and reminder to just keep hustling. Exactly. So to finish this off this conversation, right? Where can our listeners find you online? 
Yeah, um, one of the best places to find me find me is bioformist.com. Of course, I'm on LinkedIn and, and Twitter and all these areas, but so is bioformist. And so wherever you find bioformist, you'll find me. And you know, I I always welcome the opportunity to connect with partners throughout the space and people who are even just looking to get into the space and learn more. I'm all about growing and growing others, growing myself. So just look for me at bioformist.com or literally probably on any of the platforms where you would find uh, Bioformis or or any professionals and I'll be there and I'd love to connect. Thank you so much for joining us today, Shiza. And thank you for joining us. Check out the Hit Like a Girl website and podcast page for more amazing interviews like this one with Shiza today. Cheers. Like a Girl Media is more than a media network. It's a community. We want to meet you and amplify your voice and the voices of outstanding women innovating in healthcare. Interested in starting your own podcast or hosting an event near you? Connect with us online or in person. We're here to support and empower you. This episode is brought to you by Chirpy Bird, Inc. CMS's Merit-Based Incentive Payment System, or MIPS, is super complex And if clinicians ignore the program or perform poorly in it, it can result in a hit to their revenue and reputation. Chirpy Bird is proud to say that more than 95% of its clients are exceptional performers in MIPS, meaning they've maximized the score that directly translates into their Medicare reimbursement rate. Chirpy Bird offers their audit-proof services to practices of all sizes through an affordable monthly subscription that includes unlimited access to a regulatory expert who guides them in knowing what data to track, how to create workflows that make capturing that data easier, and ensures that they submit it all to CMS on time and performing at its best. Contact Chirpy Bird today or learn more at chirpybirdinc.com. That's chirpybirdinc.com.